Hello friends, welcome to or welcome back to A Runner's Life podcast. In this episode, I speak with Danny Coyle. He is head of digital and social media for the Abbott World Marathon Majors. He's a runner of six marathons himself. He now leads all content operations for the World Marathon Majors platforms, including the new Majors magazine and Marathon Talk podcast. For more information on the Abbott World Marathon Majors, visit www.worldmarathonmajors.com and their virtual community at www.abbottwmglobalrunclub.com. I'll put these links in the show notes. We discuss the impact of the World Marathon Majors, what it means to people, and we also cover probably the most asked question in regards to what's happening with the seventh race. So we take a deep dive into that and give you an update of where that process is sitting as it stands. Before we jump into the conversation with Danny, I've got a fantastic podcast to share with you called Why Run. The podcast celebrates the extraordinary and the everyday stories of running. In the lead up to the global charity event, Wings for Life World Run on May 7th, 2023, an event which gives 100% of all fees to spinal cord research with the hope of finding a cure for spinal cord injuries. Why Run is hosted by Erin and Io, both well known in the social media and broadcasting space. They bring so much passion to their interviews as they speak to people around the world about their passion for running and they discuss the many reasons why they run. One thing for me that is quite important is the show promotes inclusivity in the space, unique personal experiences and all the reasons why running can be fun. So this is one you're going to want to check out. I'll put the link in the show notes. But you can find Why Run wherever you get your podcasts. One last thing, big thank you to Saw for sponsoring this episode as you've seen in my build up to the race i've been testing out the graphene vest i'm really excited to test it out for boston hopefully the weather is perfect for the ideal conditions if not i've got the classic race day vest just in case but you never know with boston so i've brought in a couple of other options as well but let's see positive vibes and all that good stuff but with that being said let's head to the conversation with danny hi danny welcome to a runner's life podcast how are you doing i'm very well marcus how are you yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. We've actually met various times over the years, yeah. all by coincidence. One was on a plane back to the UK, another time yeah. in New York. It's funny how we've met like, at different points across the world, but not actually yet in the UK. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think, I think I did see you in the finish shoot in London last year, but you were, you were looking slightly, well, you just run a marathon. So, you know, you were looking <laughs> like someone who just runs a marathon does. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we've uh, we're well travelled, the pair of us. Most definitely. Can you give the listeners an introduction into who you are and your role at Broadmouth the Majors, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm head of digital and social media for Abbott World Marathon Majors. And I suppose you can kind of shorthand that to say just in charge of all all of our content, really. Um, And I come from a journalism and a sports journalism background. So like a lot of people, I kind of gravitated towards social media as that grew in its importance and became the place for content to live for, you know, brands and and media outlets and 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 anyone really who was doing anything in the kind of content space um so i ended up doing a lot of that for the london marathon uh, across their portfolio of events and various other kind of freelance clients and then ultimately that led to where i am now which was working for for world marathon majors and, and running their channels so i suppose that role has kind of grown over time and now i look after all things digital so from our social channels and we've got a, a great social media manager now in, in Dave who who carries the 
the workload of that really and I, I oversee that um, to all of our email content to our video projects our podcast now as well and our website content but also the I suppose the technology behind the website so the six star system and the our age group world rankings which you know we'll chat about all this stuff as we go but um overseeing the development of that with other team members specifically our, our results and rankings manager Stu who is, a, is a, our numbers man and our external partners who have built all those pieces for us so I, I, I suppose I'm across all of those areas really obviously your role is based in UK but you also travel to all the races as well can you talk about some of your favorite and also some of your most challenging moments that you've had in your role that people may not be aware of yeah I mean I suppose I feel talk about favorite things I mean I, I feel very fortunate I suppose to be able to work in in sport and for as long as I can remember since I was early teenager I wanted to be a sports journalist um, and that was what I wanted to pursue and, and I was lucky enough to kind of get into that through the sport of rugby initially and then took a roundabout route that ended up with editing a running magazine here in the UK and, and then pretty much staying in the running space ever since then so to combine that journalistic element with working in sport is, is a great privilege um, and to still be doing that all these years down the line is great and it's a long-winded way to get to the answer but in terms of my favorite things I would say there's a couple of parts to that and one of them is the chance to tell the stories about our runners um, okay coming from uh, as a journalist and a writer telling stories is is at the heart of what I love to do and I suppose I realized very early on from joining the majors just how powerful some of those stories could be the first race I, I went to when I was in the job was New York in 2017. Shalane Flanagan won the women's race there. And it was just an incredible moment, a powerful moment to see somebody who had been striving for so long to kind of, for a moment like that, on a stage like that, w- was amazing. So to see what that meant to her was, was a great thing. But then you look at the community of runners who are striving for the six-star medal. And I remember stories. There was a lady called Wendy, I can't remember her surname now, in Tokyo, who... Um, she suffered horrific injuries in a car crash. It had taken years just to get her walking mobility back. Um, she'd been told by numerous specialists running was going to be out of the question. And then there she was finishing all six in Tokyo in 2018. And, you know, the opportunity to tell that story. Um, another guy, Kevin, I, you've probably come across Kevin. Uh, I think he's Swiss. And he, he was another guy who suffered a real bad injuries in a car crash when he was a younger man. And, um, ended up running quite an accomplished runner, I think. And he ended up finishing his six-star medal with his dad in New York in, in 2018. And so yeah. being there and the opportunity to film and, and listen to those stories and see what it meant to him to meet his dad at the six-star medal tent, you know, after that and after everything he'd been through and the emotion that came out was just another amazing kind of moment. And there's been loads of them. So those those storytelling moments, I think, are probably my, my favourite part of the job. And then, you know, you bring it right up to date with the amazing day we've had in Tokyo. We'll probably talk more about Tokyo later and the world record six-star finishes and the unbelievable number of stories that came out of that were just, just, just brilliant. Uh, you know, you could write a book about that day, probably. And I suppose the second part of that is the chance to cover the elite races and watching people do incredible things you know I've been lucky enough to be in Berlin both occasions that Elliot Kipchoge broke the world record and 
you know, not necessarily standing right on the finish line. I have a comfortable seat in the media centre in front of a big screen and, and, you know, doing the Twitter coverage for our account. But it's still a privilege to be to be there when moments like that happen. I was there when Bridget Kosky broke the world record in Chicago in 2019. Um, we followed the story of Manuela Shaw, uh, a wheelchair. Um, she was three-time wheelchair series champion. She won nine races in a row, nine majors in a row. Um, she won all all the majors in the series between 2018 and 2019, and you know we created a documentary about her. So you know it spans that spectrum of what the elites do and the amazing accomplishments that that I've seen, and then those human interest stories. And there are so many of them, and so many of them are so powerful as well. And even, I'll go back to yours, and you know the, the, when you were staring straight down the barrel of the camera in, in 2018 after after Boston and the emotion on your face. Yeah. You know, so so those are, I would say, you know, the, the best things about the job is, is that the opportunity and the privileged position I'm in and our team is in to tell those stories. And I haven't even got to the, the challenging bits, but I suppose related to that, one of the challenges for me and for us as a team is to, to nail those best stories and work out the best way to tell them because we do have quite a lot to pick from. So it, it, it's hard in a way sometimes, but I think we pride ourselves on not leaving anything on the table when we walk away from a race weekend in terms of the content we wanted to put out, the stories we identified and that we wanted to tell. And that is a constant challenge, I would say, not just to make sure you've identified and captured the right stuff, but also that you've used the best way to tell it. And as you know, you know there's, there's so much out there and it's very crowded. There's podcasts, there's YouTube channels, there's social media accounts, there's blogs, there's, there's written content of all different lengths. So we're amongst all of that and we know that each race, each of the majors has its own content objectives as well. It's got its own channels. It's It's got its own reach that it, it wants to leverage. So we're, we're obliged to support the initiatives and the priorities that they've got, as well as make sure that our own platforms are performing well. So there's a, a juggling act amongst all of that, I think. And I think that challenge is, is something that we, it's enjoyable. And it's also just a challenge to balance out the work, right? We, we've got, as I said before, I, 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 you know, there's the email programs, there's obligations to sponsors, there's keeping the technology up and running that we have fantastic experts that help us with. There's there's all those different pieces um, that that make it a very, very busy job. But those rewarding moments when you see really good quality stuff come out at the other end, I think make it all worth it. Absolutely. And like, it's really interesting to hear how the the positives or well, the best moments and the challenges are interwoven in sense of just like the human stories behind the runners and the emotions that they go through and like you said obviously the challenges of telling those stories and when you talked about my story it reminded me of like for example when we actually tell a lie when you talk, said about seeing me in the last london marathon i was running mm-hmm. it with tom who is the first deaf born six star finisher he got his six stars in in Tokyo and he yeah, was there phenomenal. you know great friends and I'm not that emotional of a person but I think the marathon does make you more emotional I remember we all had like happy tears at the end and it was just amazing to see you know Tom and so many other people yeah. achieve their their goals in Tokyo can you tell us like how many six star finishers there are to date yeah I mean I mean Thomas is is phenomenal and, and what a story that is and you know um we we, we actually we had a crew following him his story in Tokyo and, and prior to that as well. And we've, we've got, fan- I actually saw a first cut of it about three hours before you and I hopped on this call. So um, there's, there's going to be a phenomenal uh, documentary coming out about him and, and I can't wait for everyone to see that, but what an inspiration he is. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's how many six star finishes have we got now? So after Tokyo, our official count is eleven thousand one hundred and fifty three, and we've actually got over six thousand people who are just on number five and ready to to run that last one as well. So there's a there's a conveyor belt um, um, coming through. But yeah, we you know obviously we took a massive leap in Tokyo. I've never seen numbers like that before. I'm looking forward to seeing that documentary and Thomas. Do you know when that may come out? It should be. Um, we're actually, it's going to be part of a series, but it should be out in May. So after the spring majors, when everything is kind of in the can, um, we'll, we'll be releasing kind of a, a series of three kind of short films and Thomas will be one of those. Before we go further into the conversation, I think a lot of people want to know, and I'm sure if you could tell us this, can you talk about what is the current position for the proposed seventh race? Oh, the famous seventh race, yeah, yeah. Of course, I can. Listen, this is this is the most popular question we hear at every expo. Um, you know, Judy, our, our director of customer service, and Stu, who I mentioned before, they they tend to man the expo booth um, at, at most of the majors, um, along with some of our other our other great team members. And it's definitely the number one question that that people ask when they turn up. And and the answer is yeah. It's quite quite simple. We've got three candidates, as you know. So we've got Chengdu, we've got Cape Town, and we've got Sydney. They are all in the candidate process. That process is a multi-year process. They have to be assessed each year against a list of criteria, which is which is as long as your arm, and covers all the operational aspects, anything you can think of involved in putting a, a, a world class, a world marathon majors class event on. Our team of assessors will take that list, look at the race, assess it, and the races have to pass twice before they can become a major. So we don't talk publicly about the criteria in any detail or what someone's passed or what they haven't passed. That, that's an internal process. Our team will do that work. The report will be done. It will be delivered back to, to our board of directors and, and the race in question and discussed, discussed from there. So, so those are the three candidates. There, nobody's passed yet, so there's still a way to go. So, if somebody, so so the answer is there are three candidates. They could all pass. None of them could pass. Some of them, some of them could go away. Some and a new one could come in. It's all, it's it's all to play for in terms of the expansion program and and how it could play out. But those are the three, and. Um, yeah, it's a case of watch this space for, for how they get on through the process and when there will be a point in time when we can announce whether or not we're going to be adding seven or eight or nine. So it's kind of a non-answer to answer, but a non-answer. <laughs> no, no, you, you're saying because obviously there is a process and you're saying there's they have to attain a certain criteria, which obviously mm-hmm. is ongoing. So it's unfair to say like this is the time because obviously they're involved in it. So like you're saying it's probably not the answer people want to hear, but it's, it's the honest answer is like wait and see. It is, the, the answer is wait and see, but it is also that, you know, we, we won't, we're very conscious of the fact, I think, that um, people want to know and, and they also want to know, and it's probably something you want to talk about, is what does it mean for the medal? What does it mean for the six-star medal and that program as well? And, um, and they're all perfectly valid questions to, to ask. Um, so I think... What we can definitely say is that, you know, we will communicate any changes and any significant happenings with with regards to expansion 
way ahead of them kind of having a material effect on on our runners and, and what they're striving for um so you know it won't be it won't be like we flick a switch and say right this program's at an end now there's a new one you know I th- uh, it's going to be it will be a much softer kind of um landing and approach to that and that, that's definitely you know the, the other really popular question is what's going to happen with the medal program um are we going to have two is it going to be a new one is it going to go away and I would say that we're discussing all the all the options at the moment. So you know, our, our well, people for for people's benefit, they probably it's probably helpful to explain that we are World Marathon Majors is a company that is in part owned by all six races. So our board of directors are our six race directors, if you like. Some of them have different titles, you know. Uh, certain some of them are CEO of the Boston Athletic Association. In the case of of the lovely Jack Fleming and so there's some different different titles but essentially those six figureheads of six races they they steer the ship and then we have our CEO Dorna and, and the rest of our team working under her so um, all of that is being discussed at that level and yeah we are definitely sensitive to the fact that there are thousands of runners striving for the six star medal so absolutely so is there going to be something that recognises a new achievement if there are more races? Definitely. Do we know that those thousands of runners are very, very sensitive to what will happen to the six-star medal? Absolutely. So whatever decided will be fully kind of appreciative of all of those factors that are in play, I think, is the best thing to say. It's a tricky situation to go into, isn't it, really, moving forward? Because I, even me just thinking out loud, it's like, once the seventh or the eighth or whatever comes through, will people still value the six as much? Um, so, but then the people that are on that journey will value that as much. And I think the people that have really got the six will probably then try to clamber to get the spaces for the seventh or eighth or whatever there may be. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's different mindsets out there and we definitely hear that spectrum of opinion. There are some people who say, well, what's wrong with, what's wrong with the way it is? Other people look for that next challenge all the time don't they you know whether you've for some people running one marathon is Everest and then they're on to the next thing and and that's it other people it becomes chasing the six-star medal for people who've chased the six-star medal it could become what's next I might want to do the seven in seven the, the the continent challenge or there are lots of other things out there so I think you'll get you'll get that huge number of people who go excellent now there's a seventh or there's an eighth or there's a ninth that's 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 my motivation sorted for the next few years um and you'll get some people who go well you know i'm striving for that six that's what i've got i'm happy with that but you know the nature of runners is that they love a challenge that's fair and you see it in so many different cases where you get people doing all six in one year or they go back to do it again and it's all incredible to see that you know, as the World Marathon Majors have become more popular, mm-hmm. certain races have always been harder to get into mm-hmm. for international runners, say London or Tokyo, for example. Can you talk about some of the efforts that your company is doing to help those that are close to getting their, their six or maybe number four or number five to get that sixth medal? Yeah, I mean, we, so we started last year with a new dedicated Abbott World Marathon Majors program, ballot program for each race. Um and in a way, it was kind of born out of how much angst and frustration we knew there was during the pandemic, especially around Tokyo. Right? You know, no one from overseas had been able to get to Tokyo for 2020, for 21, and for 22. 
Um, so we knew that this number was kind of building up. And it, it's not just Tokyo. You know, it's hard to get into London and Boston. It, it, it's it's not as hard, but still difficult to get places in Berlin, New York and Chicago. You know, these the, these races are kind of seen as the pinnacle and the demand is, is huge out there. So we've got a certain number of places from each race to hold a, a dedicated ballot for runners who, as you said, were on a certain number of stars to get a place. So last year in Tokyo's case, we had 100 extra places for runners on five stars who just needed Tokyo. Um, we'll have uh, 300 for Tokyo in the ballot, next ballot that we hold for places in 2024 and various different numbers for the different races. I haven't got them to hand, but um, can certainly share a link in, in the show notes that will send people to the kind of list. So, yes, it was something all of the races got behind because they could see the clamour for places and we as an organisation want to be as helpful as we can to runners who are committed to this journey so you know we feel like if somebody's done three or four or five they are they are fully committed you know they they, they're chasing that medal and um so we'll have a full program of draws for this year for the three autumn races and then the spring races of 24 and we've opened up a series of virtual events uh called the road to the majors as well where if you in our global run club is our kind of virtual running community home um, if you run one of those half marathons in that series, you can earn an extra place in the draw for a race that you need. So there's opportunity to kind of boost your chances um, in those ballots, if you like. So, you know, they're hosted in in the Global Run Club and it's just another chance for runners to kind of in, improve the opportunity they've got to, to get a place in a race that they're going after. So it's a big shift, really. It was a big, big initiative that we started last year and it was really, it was really well received. I mean, you know, we knew it would be because we hear from runners on social and by email and in person when we're at the expos about how do I, how can I get a place in this race? You know, I've been, I've been trying for a couple of years. So we hope that, you know, adding, adding all those places and the opportunities for people um, is going to help move people along their journey. It's supposed to be difficult though, right? It's supposed to, it is supposed to be a little bit challenging and, and, and part of the challenge is getting that place. But um yeah, I, th- I think this is we, we've got a good program here that's definitely going to help people um, progress past some of those sticking points they're finding. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I like the way that you've integrated it into the community, so people are working within it to potentially earn extra points to get those places. And yeah, yeah I agree. If it was carte blanche, kind of like we've got five thousand places, I think you'd probably have an uproar from the previous six star finishers thinking, hold a second, it was difficult for us to get in. <laughs> Are you making it so easy for everyone else to do it? It, should be, it shouldn't be impossible, but it's, like you said, it should be a challenge to, yeah. to do it. And I think, yeah, I, I agree with that. So going back to Tokyo, mm-hmm. that was the event, that was a space where the six star one marathon majors actually became known to many people yeah. globally. Yeah, And it's interesting that the recent Tokyo was the event where you know, we had the record number, obviously, mm-hmm. post-pandemic, yeah, um, um, or post-lockdown restrictions. Uh, can you talk about some of the the highlights of that? I know you talked about Tom, but I'm sure there were so many moments within that race, that whole build-up, that yeah, uh, were incredible. Yeah, I mean, we kind of we knew. You go right back to before the pandemic. So go back to 2019. We had 730 or six star finishes in Tokyo and at the time we were like wow you know that's that's big and then we 
we did some modeling. I say we, Stu, who is, you know, the, our numbers, numbers guru, he looked at all the, the numbers and he kind of did a forecast of where he thought each race would, would go over the next few years in terms of his six star finisher number. And Tokyo was projecting out to get into the thousands and then, you know, creep up to 1500. And we're like, oh, wow, that'd be, that'd be a challenge, wouldn't it? On, on the day, you know, there's only, there's kind of a handful of, of full-time staff and then we have some fantastic volunteers from Abbott and we all stand there at this lovely pop-up tent and give out some medals and if we're getting into that kind of territory for numbers it's going to be quite an operation um, and then the pandemic comes along and, and that trajectory kind of becomes null and void and what happens is no Tokyo in 2020 no Tokyo in 21 Tokyo for Japanese residents only in 22 so you're seeing these overseas six star finishers just build up and build up and build up and we actually built a tool i think it was last year we published it that allows if you're on five or four you come and you just fill some details in on the site so we know that you've got a place in a forthcoming race to earn your six star medal so we can kind of track the numbers and we just watched this number like going through the roof on the, uh, in the tokyo um console and we were like oh this is this is where's it going to end and i think i at one point it might have been before christmas i said right we have a weekly team call and i said my number two and a half thousand i reckon and everyone's going no no way and then we get to january and we're like it's, it's blown past two and a half thousand we're going to end up with three thousand so we had to have some serious conversations from an operational point of view about what that would mean um because as you know you, you you've done it you've done the walk to the to the six star tent in boston there will be a queue and you've got to wait in it and then you've got to get your medal and then you've got to get your photo and then away you go. Um, and in Tokyo, it's different because the runners can go two ways at the finish, can't they? You, 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 you cross the line, you go down the chute, you get your race medal and then a bunch go left and a bunch go right. So we've always needed two tents anyway. So we thought this just isn't going to work. This, this is not going to work with, with, with 3,000. How are we going to know who's going where? How long is a line going to be if we've got, you know, in the thickest kind of flow of finishers? This is going to be this is going to be a logistical nightmare. So we looked at should we take it offsite and have it a bit further away from the finish in one location? We can we can fill it with volunteers and we'll process everybody in one place. It could be cleaner. Tokyo came up with some great options for that, but in the end, we thought that's that's actually not going to work. We're going to have to we're going to do this. We're going to have bigger tents. We're going to let. We're going to split it as far down the middle as we as we practically can, with six star finishers with an even number going each way. We got uh, Marcel, who's a, a crowd expert, does a lot of kind of flow analysis and stuff like that. We we engaged him to do some work on this, gave him all the predicted finish times. So there, there was some real data science going on behind the scenes here to work out how this was going to work how many photographers we'd need, how many volunteers we'd need to try and reduce as much as possible the prospect of a huge long line of runners already exhausted. If it's raining, they're going to be soaking, they're going to be cold. They've got their Tokyo medal. Now they've got to stand in a line for who knows how long to get their six-star medal. So um, the, the aim of the game was to get that wait time down as, as much as we possibly could. And so it was you had to factor in, well, how long does it generally take for somebody to – 
pick up their medal, then go and stand in front of a photo backdrop, get their official photo taken. Then they're going to want to take a selfie. Then if they've got a heat sheet on, they're going to take that off. Someone's got to hold all that stuff. So all this stuff, all these all these different variables came in to play. Um, and we ended up with the plan that we ended up with, which was two tents, about 1,500 each side, Loads of, I think we had 60 volunteers on kind of a rotating basis. We had some people from the majors family there. So um, Nick Battelle, CEO from London Marathon, Mary Kate Shea, who recruits the elite athletes in Boston. This is the great thing about the majors. When we travel to a race, somebody from one of the races is always there, sometimes more than one. And, and uh, Ted Metellus, race director from New York, Mark Milder, race director from Berlin, Mike Nishi from Chicago. They all came and did jobs at these tents. I mean, I, I was in a warm seat in the media centre, but the team were out there and the, it was, they were unwrapping medals. Ted was lining people up to get the photo backdrop, to get the photos done as quickly as he could. Mark and one of his team were moving people on once they'd done their selfies. So it was a massive team effort. Um, and they got all these runners through. And, yeah, there, there was a something of a wait time for some people when it got really, really thick. But... It was a, it was an amazing logistical effort to to pull it off and pull it off without any kind of um, any kind of disaster. So it's kind of a, a look behind the curtain, really, and what went into to, to processing that. But um, yeah, it was a phenomenal job by by that team. Um, and the stories, yeah, you know, we talked about Tom, but there was a lady called Becky from the states, um, and at one of the tents, Stu and another one of our team, Scott they got word that she had finished. She was in a bad way. She was, she'd been put in a wheelchair because she was, had suffered an injury and she'd actually been almost kind of carried by a couple of other guys to get to the finish for the last couple of kilometers. And they wouldn't wheel her in a wheelchair to the six star medal tent. So Scott and Stuart picked up a backdrop and a medal and walked to the finish where she was sitting in this chair and stuck it behind her and made sure she got her medal moment and her photo. So, you know, there's, there's stuff like that that happened. There was um, the wolf pack, this t- the, 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 the father and five of his sons from Chile, um, who beca- they set a Guinness World Record for the largest family ever to finish and get the six-star medal in a single day. There was um, a fella called Jorg um, from Germany, who we did a, a small story on, who had donated blood plasma in January. You know, he, he was on a donor list and suddenly got a call, you're a match for somebody, we need it. It was going to completely derail his training, but he did it anyway. He made his donation. And he actually heard from, from, from the recipient of the donation that, you know, he saved their life and then there he was earning a six-star medal in Tokyo like a few months later. Um, lady called Liz Barrett from Canada became the oldest female six-star finisher, 84 years old. You know, she ran something like 510, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, you know, so many stories. It was it was, it was was an unbelievable day. And, uh, you know, I talked earlier about the challenges and that was really hard to work out between us. What are we actually going to do with all this? You know, what, what are the strongest stories? What what's the what, you know trying to get a good mix of um, you know diversity in there? But you know, it was the whole day was was a was a was a testament to a lot of the planning, um, but the runners and the stories themselves, and obviously that that teamwork ethic that I talked about with you know all those faces from from the, the different majors who were actually there and just just rolled their sleeves up and helped on the day. It was um, yeah, it was a, it was a real one-off experience, I think. 
thank you for giving us the, that backdrop to the day and just the build up and just a team effort and uh, what we you don't said, just turn up with a tent, Marcus, and some medals. You know, there's a bit more to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, we joke. We, we joke, but like, for example, like we talked about Ted. For example, I've met him at the London Marathon, and he's such a great guy to speak with. And I yeah. remember my friend uh, Philip King, who actually went to get his six star in Tokyo. He was spotted by Ted, and he's got a video of him, and he's going, "Hey, come, okay, put you medal on that sort of stuff." And I thought yeah. that's just incredible. And you just saw, like, for me, it was so nice to see just just the directors and the people yeah. who are very senior within those races take part and care. I'm not yeah. saying they don't care, but do you know I mean, take an active interest with those yeah. because you just don't know what it means to them. And I know what it meant to Philip to see Ted because he, you know, he respects him highly as well. So mm. to get his six star medal from him must've been an incredible feeling. So I think, yeah, well played by you guys. I think that was really cool to, to see that. Yeah. I think when, you know, at, at every race, when the race directors and, 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 you know, Chris and the, the guys from Abbott as well, when they do come and spend a bit of time at that six star tent, and I probably spend the least amount there of anyone. Cause I'm not, I'm normally in a media center, but that atmosphere kind of, I think it gets in your nostrils a little bit and, and, and you, you kind of, you get wrapped up in the, the sort of elation and enthusiasm and, and the runners feed off that. So if those guys are standing there and they're excited to see them and, 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 and are, you know, enjoying the experience of handing some of these medals out and hearing some of these anecdotes from some of these runners as they're coming through, um, it, it sort of feeds itself and, and, it, and it makes the whole space and, and the whole kind of six star experience that a little bit more special, I think. Absolutely. Um, so, the thing I want to move on to next really is talking about the the Wall of Fame. Uh, I understand yeah. that it's going to be updated for the current six star finishes at Tokyo and they'll have their names in it for the current Boston Marathon coming up in 2023. Yeah. Now, as I've seen for the years, it's become a big part of some of the World Marathon majors, not in all the expos, mm -hmm. but as the names of like getting you know, increasing, what's the plans to move forward? Because I imagine you can't have more space. And, yeah. and or make yeah. it smaller yeah i mean we, we actually got slightly lucky with um with the space we've got in boston that we have an extremely long stretch of of wall um the back side of our wall actually that we've been able to use so um that's how we've managed to fit now over eleven thousand names on it um but yeah you're right that is because of going to become a space challenge going forward um what do we do about that we need to look at some digital ways we are actively looking at what to do with it you know can we bring some kind of digital experience to bear that will be just as engaging for people because you know people love looking at that thing and and, and rightly so because it's a massive achievement to be on it so you know we we are we're not in control of the amount of space we get from each major to use as our expo stand or our, our expo booth so so it's dictated a little bit by that but you know we know two things one it's something people absolutely love um, and therefore two we need to come up with a way to deliver it that doesn't involve building a wall that's as long as boylston street so 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 we're, we're working on it but yes it will be it will be there in boston and what would it look like moving forward in terms of like are you thinking about something more digital well we are thinking about something more digital but at the same time, it's got to be, you know, the beauty of it as it is, is that 10, 15, 20 people can, can be looking at that thing in one go and um, looking for somebody's name or looking for their own name in different sections of it. So how do you replicate that digitally is a challenge, but it's one we are thinking about 
we can't really make the names any smaller because we'll, we'll, we'll start damaging people's eyesight. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's definitely it's definitely a head scratcher, but um, it's one we'll we'll find a solution one way or another. Absolutely. Now, the Wall of Fame isn't at every expo. At London, they've got the famous mm-hmm. Travelator. Could try yeah. and run some of Elliot's world record pace. Have you tried? Have you have you tried? It sends like <laughs> shivers down my spine, you know, coming off the train, and I'm like, "There's no way I'm going to be running for that short a time, even at that pace, uh, the day before the marathon." So I just kind of leave it. But I enjoy seeing everyone else enjoy themselves. Sensible, that's sensible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it will be. It'll be back in London this year. It has been there for a number of years, so it could be could be time to to start thinking about something else after this year, but. Yeah, it's always been so popular. You know, the crowds that come and watch people having a go on that thing are just phenomenal. Um, and I, I, I can't remember what year it was when Mo Farah had a go and kind of fell off the back. But um, yeah, it, it, it very, very popular. It's a massive crowd draw. Um, and as you say, it does mean that a lot of that wall space is kind of taken out of place. So that's why we can't kind of put that wall of fame up in London. But um, yeah, it's, it, it is a lot of fun. I, I also have not had a go on it. Um, so maybe I will before it gets retired, but um, I definitely don't think I could do the full 400 metres at, at Elliot Kipchoge's world record pace. Um, yeah, I'd probably go for something a bit more, a bit more sedate than that. I think for me, if I was to do it, I'd really want to take it seriously. Like I'd have to turn up like in split shorts and a vest. I know I did four hundred meters. I couldn't. Yeah. You see people just turn up rocking up with their regular clothes and jeans and stuff. I, I'm always too worried about yeah. just yeah running it in regular clothes so uh yeah maybe maybe one day but maybe not during the marathon <laughs> that's, that's probably for me but it's a lot of fun though it keeps people engaged <laughs> hopefully there's been no injuries to note anyways <laughs> to be no i mean yeah there, there was one or two down the years but you know uh, pretty much everyone is uh takes it sensibly um and those who know they've got 26.2 miles to run um you know literally 48 70 72 hours before uh shouldn't be um shouldn't be pushing themselves to uh get themselves into any problems so just moving towards the sort of the the end of the conversation so i became a six-star finisher we talked about in 2018 can you talk a little bit about how the the world marathon majors is looking to almost retain and, and keep previous six-star finishers engaged and part of the community yeah i mean you look at it now. There's kind of there's this constant conveyor belt of people coming coming towards the end of their journey. I think I said earlier, six thousand people are on five right now, and that's after we cleared out three thousand people in Tokyo in one go. So so we see that kind of continuing to roll, and people kind of continuing to chase that medal. So you know when they get to the other side of that, and when they've got that six star medal, it is natural, I think, that some people will look for their next challenge. So some will go and do the seven marathons in seven continents in seven days. Some will want to do an Ironman. Some will want to drop down a gear or two and do half marathons. Like um, Liz, who I mentioned earlier, I interviewed her before Tokyo. And she said, oh, no, that'll be it for me. You know, I'll, I'll drop down and do some half marathons now. And I thought, that's a bit lazy, but fair enough. <laughs> You know, so 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 there's there's lots of different paths 
people could choose that will take them in different directions. Uh, but for others, they want to go around again. Like you, you're, you're still running and turning up at these races. How, how many, since you did Boston in 2018, what else have you done majors-wise? I know you've done London. You've definitely done New York again. I've done Berlin. Probably the only ones I've not done repeated have been Tokyo and Chicago. And what, what what's the driver for you to keep coming back to these races then? Because you're one of these people. You see, you seem to still be engaged, which is great. You're doing your podcast. You're looking for your name on the wall. You're an active member of this community. So That's a good question. So w- one of my inspirations is a guy called Chris Finnell, and he's one of the ever-presents. Oh, yeah. And he's run every London since inception. So for me, it's almost yeah. like I'm not, I can't do what he's done. But for me, like you can do your own version of that for London. For London, London's my yeah. home city, so it's always something to target. That's why mm-hmm. London will always be special. Berlin is because it's fairly close by. It's one of the fastest mm-hmm. ones. It's easy to get to. Yeah, for me, just the way that the way that the races run and operate. And it's also not just about the running, it's about the people that I see and the connect with and see during that mm-hmm. weekend. Like it's such an amazing point. I've made so many great friends through this process and it's just a great way to connect with those people and see them again and and you know, shoot the breeze. Mm-hmm um so i enjoy yeah. that so you you know you're a walking advert for it really because you know if i'm not really talked about this but our our vision as an organization is to inspire the world through marathons right and, and underpinning that is a mission to create as many opportunities as we can and support as many opportunities as we can for people to discover that power the power of the marathon is what we talk about and you've just explained it Right, you did your six star medal, but because you did those races and met so many people, it keeps bringing you back because you want to see them again. You know, maybe you want to run a faster time in one of these races again. So that the power of these six races is is, is kind of embodied in, in that kind of approach. Um, and you then you've got others who might look at their six star certificate and go, "Oh man, I've done five of them in three something, and there's one." There's one result on that certificate that says 405 or six, and it's messing up my certificate. So for some, it's that, you know, they've got to go back and, and, and complete that symmetry and, and, and get all those races under a certain time. So there's that reason why, you know, existing six star finishes might come back. So, you've, you know, you've you, you summed it up perfectly. The friendships and the connections that you've made around the world give you a reason to want to come back to some of these cities every now and again and keep doing them. Um, so that that's organic. That's that's a natural thing. Some people are chasing more times. Um, and that's before we even talk about, you know, the other challenges out there, like the age group world rankings. So that's still a, the six-star program has been going for a long time, but the age group world rankings is still a baby in, in its journey to what it could become. But you can now, as an athlete, age 40 and over, look at one of, on our website, a list of 350 races around the world spread across six continents. You can run any one of those races and that run will earn you a spot in the age group world ranking. So you will see where you stand against your peers around the world, against thousands of other runners and where you stack up. And if it's fast enough, that's going to earn you a slot in the age group world championships. So now you're in a position where you're running to become an age group world champion. You're running to add age group world champion to your LinkedIn bio or your social or whatever it is. So there's that constant source of motivation. And, that you know, it comes back again, that mission of trying to inspire people and, and, and create more opportunities. And so there's the age group piece that, that does that. So you know, if you love the sport and you love the challenge of improving yourself and seeing where you stack up against other runners who are in your age group, your peers, 
that's got your name all over it. So, you know, and, and it, it, there is the carrot out there, as we talked about, the expansion and the prospect of more majors to run if, if that comes to pass. So some people will uh, have a new fire lit under them by that. So I think there are a lot of reasons for people to stay engaged, but ultimately it comes down to someone's passion for the sport, for the reasons they do it, and for the feeling it gives them of being active to train and to, to aim for that next start line. Um, and I think that's, you know, that sort of sums up. There's a broad number of reasons for people to, to want to do it. You know, you get people who are one and done. I, I was probably one of them. When I, I, ran, I ran the London Marathon in 2008. I did it for a charity. A member of my rugby club had passed away. And I ran for cardiac risk in the young as a result of that. And I didn't really have any notion of, oh, I'm going to become a marathon runner now. Runner now. And I, do I class myself as that now? I don't know. I've done, I've done six. I'm lucky enough to have done London a couple of other times, done some other marathons. I've not done any other stars yet. Um, but that that made me a runner. And I know the six-time medal is out there now. And, and, you know, maybe one day, if I'm allowed not to work, I'll start ticking off stars at some point. But... Um, so the, the, I think there's just there's lots of lots of different ways people come to this, and, and there are equally just as many reasons for them to stay once they've reached a certain milestone or a certain landmark like the six star medal. Taking your view from obviously seeing races internationally, what does running culture look like, and you know where do you think like the work that you're doing it kind of is speaking to where it's going? I say the work, I say the work that the World Marathon Majors is doing to kind of help mm. be a voice within that conversation. Yes, good question. I think when when you look at when I look back, I think in the last kind of in the last ten to fifteen years, first of all, I think we I think we had another running boom, right? I think there was another running boom towards just before and around two thousand and ten. I think if you go back to two thousand and nine, in in this country in the UK, in the space of about twelve to eighteen months from that year, three new magazines launched. Three new. I was editor of one of them. Um, one was a women's running magazine. Um, we saw the emergence of, or the re-emergence of loads of regional marathons that, that came came back or popped up for the first time. Um, we saw this idea of running groups and collectives that absolutely did not and, and would not fit the mould of the traditional running club. They sprung up. So things like the Run Dem crew, things like now you've got Midnight Runners, you've got London City Runners. I'm just talking about UK versions, but, you know, there will be other... Uh, other such kind of crews or collectives or whatever kind of title they want to give themselves, they formed. So running culture began to change there. So it moved from the 80s and possibly 90s perception of small split shorts, vests, skinny men and women, men, actually skinny men, not many women at all, um, taking part in this sport to... Um, it becoming much more inclusive and much more accessible um, in terms of what you could wear to do it and what you could look like to do it as well. And I'd go back to, I was talking to um, the race director of Bank of America Chicago Marathon, Kerry Pinkowski, for a piece in our magazine. And I said, what have you seen change? Because Kerry's been in this since the 70s. And he, he said, the number of women who took up the sport, he said, it just, he said it was just phenomenal. He said it just they just weren't there, and then they they started looking at performances at the sharp end, the Paula Radcliffe's and Catherine Enderaber, and take that right up to you know the Bridget Cos guys and the, the times some of these women are running now. They brought a, a new audience to the sport, um, 
So I think the accessibility to those a more diverse diverse section of society is definitely something that I think will continue because I do I, I still think there's a job there to be done and I think when you look at um, initiatives that the likes of Boston and London and Chicago and definitely New York Roadrunners and all of them are, are doing to reach out into their communities to bring sections in who 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 either don't feel like it's for them or for whatever reason, just haven't discovered it yet. Um, I think that is where it's going. And I think the majors in particular are doing, have more work to do, but are doing a really good job of, of driving that um, further and betterment when it comes to greater diversity and greater inclusion um, in a sport that should be for all, because it's what is more accessible than opening your front door and, and, and going out and, and putting one foot in front of the other. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's a bit of a hackneyed cliche and, and people say it all the time, but there isn't really anything that's as accessible as that. And so they, if there are barriers, then they're perceived barriers that need to be removed. Yeah, I think you're right. I think in steps that, say, like Boston Marathon are taking, I was speaking to Fiona English recently about the federal policies for pregnant mums, and I think that's really a good yeah. step forward. So lots of things are happening and i'm not saying that is the only thing but there's it's good to see these changes are happening so it is encouraging people to stay within the sport and and not leave the sport and and be engaged members of the community because they are all important parts of just that that big that big running community yeah and i think it was a, a somebody um another six star finisher she finished in tokyo um her name's regina fleming and she lives in harlem in new york and she talked about her kind of journey into the sport and she didn't really see anyone who looked like her when she started. So she, she joined um, a, a running group in Harlem and that was where she realised, well, there are, there are other African-American faces doing this, but when I turn up to races, I don't actually see them. Um, and so she talked about when she was running her first New York City Marathon, she would see another black face in the crowd or, or, or another black runner and they would just, it would just be a look and be like, oh yeah, we can do it, can't we? I've seen you and you've seen me. And she said, if you see it, you can be it. And I think that's a really important thing for all of those sections of the community who perhaps don't see as much of themselves when they turn up to events, that races like the majors do more and are doing more um, to change that and, and, and integrate um, different groups of society so that it does feel like um, it's a space for them as well yeah that's really important to hear and great to see that's that is happening danny it's been great talking with you on a runner's life podcast thank you for being a guest and you pleasure and uh we'll see you in a major soon marcus i'll see you in boston <laughs> we'll do we'll do good stuff Thank you for listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please do subscribe to be notified of new episodes. If something resonates with you, please let me know and share online. Also, you could do me a massive favor by leaving your review on the podcast platform which you selected as it helps the podcast grow. Your support helps make this podcast possible. If you've got any questions, please do get in touch with me on my Instagram page at Marcus underscore runs. Your time is valuable. Thank you again for sharing your time with me.